So the NBA has a bit of a problem, and it's not a particularly new problem, but it has gotten worse, and we might be reaching a breaking point. Players don't seem to give a damn, and the media is all out of whack. Let's talk about it. Welcome to All-Star Fall Off. This is an audio documentary exploring the progression of player empowerment, media narratives, and the evolution of NBA basketball. To start, I think it's important that we not get too specific just yet, so I'm going to broadly lay out the issue at hand. In short, or kinda in short, NBA players, and not all of them, for the sake of fairness, that should be mentioned, but a lot of the big names, the ones that people come to watch and the ones who pay the bills, They've started to consolidate what they focus on during the NBA season. I think that's the best umbrella to fit all of this under. And this problem, or more neutrally speaking trend, can be best characterized by the 2023 All-Star Game. The amount of points that your team surrendered, is that going to leave a scar for you? <laughs> it's going to form over the scar yes. that was formed in Charlotte yes. back in 2019. You know, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be a part of a, a great weekend, great players. But that is the worst basketball game ever played. How do you fix it? Uh, I don't know if you can fix it. I mean, I give Joel and B, Kyrie Irving. Those guys were like competing. Joel was imploring some of the guys to play harder, to try to get some defense in. But um, no one got hurt. They put on a show for the fans. But that that is a tough game to sit through. I'm not going to lie. That was Mike Malone, the head coach of the Denver Nuggets, the best team in the Western Conference, home to the reigning back-to-back league MVP Nikola Jokic, and a team with serious championship expectations. He coached the Western Conference's team during this year's All-Star Game, and he was even coaching his own guy that night. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter that he could have said nothing, chalked it up to... Whatever, honestly. It's not like the All-Star game actually has any ramifications on the season. But he didn't. He openly stated that it flat-out stunk. To take a step back for a moment, the NBA All-Star weekend is one of the league's oldest and most sacred traditions. It's a weekend festival held every February during the middle of the regular season that consists of a variety of basketball events, exhibitions, and performances, Ones you may know like the slam dunk competition or the three-point contest, all culminating in the main event, the NBA All-Star Game held on Sunday night. So yeah, once one of the most illustrious basketball events out there, the best pickup game in the world, they would say, now just a glorified shoot-around that's an embarrassment to the NBA. Or that's at least what some people say. A lot of people, and some of those people have a pretty loud voice in the basketball community. Now, they're not entirely wrong. There were a few good moments. LeBron throwing the ball off the backboard for a lob dunk to himself. Damian Lillard hit a shot from beyond half court. But the game itself, like, as a game, yeah, it was a disappointment. There wasn't really any defense, very little competitive spirit, and just about everyone knew that nobody was taking it that serious. 
Now, the funny thing is, for the casual fan who maybe checks social media the day after or just looks at the box score numbers to get a gist of what happened, they probably didn't even notice how much disdain this game was met with. They saw some fun highlights on their timeline. Jason Tatum set a record for the most points in an all-star game with 55 and was named the match's MVP. Cool. Sounds good. Sounds like everybody had a good time. But the truth is, a lot of people, and not just the fans, no, the players and the coaches, the organization as an entity, they didn't like what they saw. So what's the deal? Why are players not giving a damn about something they used to? And I know I kind of spoiled it if you want to be all technical about it. And it's true, the all-star game doesn't have any impact on the bigger picture stuff. Who ends up at the top of each conference? Nope. Home field advantage in the playoffs? Nope, you're thinking about baseball. So yeah, it doesn't technically matter, but humor me. Because I think it's a lot bigger than that. Dare I say even nefarious works are going on behind the shadows. No, okay, I'm just trying to be a bit dramatic there, but there really are some broader trends beyond players not trying all that hard at a fancy exhibition game that are starting to form, and it's a slippery slope. And just so you know, I'm not crazy. NBA stars did used to try. They treated the game for what it was intended for giving the fans a look at the best players in the league during that given season going head-to-head. Teammates facing off against each other, rivals playing on the same team, passing the ball to one another, matchups you'd never see, because they couldn't happen in the actual NBA. Yeah, it was awesome. Or looked awesome, and everybody actually liked it at least, because I've never been to an all-star game. The point is, there was no incentive then, there isn't really now, so what's changed? Well... That's where I introduce a nightmarish hellscape from which one is almost certain to lose their sanity eventually. Sports media. Did L.A. give up too much to get a guy who has been labeled soft, although he puts up 19-9, and which only 11 other guys do? Is that a trick question? You tell me. They gave up Kwame Brown. Two first-rounders. I could, I could care less. I into his salary for First four of years. all, understand something. When you're giving up first-round picks, if you are a quality team in, play, in playoff contention, it really doesn't mean that much. That's number one. Number two, and more importantly, Kwame Brown is gone. The City of Angels, Hollywood, just should be celebrated. Throw a parade already, whether you win a championship or not. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. No disrespect whatsoever, but I'm sorry to call tell everybody the truth. The man cannot play the game of basketball. He has small hands. He can't catch the ball. He's got bad feet. He can't really move, even though he's mobile. Doesn't really know what he's doing. Doesn't have a post move that he he puts to memory that he can do two times in a row. He has no game whatsoever. Plays no defense. Doesn't have the heart, the passion, or anything that comes with it. And you're asking me whether this they gave up too much? Please. The Los Angeles Lakers knew exactly what they were doing. They should be celebrating right now, and Kobe Bryant should not be saying a word. His contract Now, I could go on for days about the problems with sports media. The worst invention to journalism, the 24-hour news cycle, has affected even talk shows on ESPN or Fox Sports 1. But that's not really what I'm going to be doing. Well, actually it is, but about a specific problem. And if you've been a really sharp listener so far, you might be able to guess that it relates to the All-Star game. Now, it's really hard to pinpoint a specific time in which this started. I'd need to go back and watch every airing of every conversation these brilliant and wise veteran analysis have offered to the public, and I didn't do that. I'm not really sure if that's possible. But increasingly in the past few years, there has been a tectonic level shift in the way the NBA media shapes narratives. 
Unfortunately, and I do swear this is an objective statement, they're full of shit. They say anything and they run their mouths atop the largest platform one could get in the basketball world. Now, I immediately have to pause and state this is not an outright condemnation of the figures in NBA media or implying that they don't believe in anything they say. Many of them are commendable journalists, delicate and meticulous analysts, and seem like really great individuals. And ultimately, often they don't have much control over the segments that get broadcasted or the topics discussed. Hell, sometimes they're told with very little notice before going on air that this is what they're debating and this is the general stance they should have. So it's a tough gig, especially if they actually want to be having more productive and nuanced discussions about the NBA, but the network thinks having a conversation about the Lakers' title odds for the fifth time that week, despite them being at the bottom of their conference for most of the season, is better for ratings. But a lot of the time they don't, and through some means, producers have concluded that there are a few notes that seemingly every conversation about the NBA has to include. Pressure, results, winning. And if you're talking about winning, you're talking about losing. There is a massive problem within the NBA media where players are constantly judged and critiqued for end goal results. You were the runner-up for the MVP award? Oh my god, that's incredible. Nope. You were second place, so that's not actually on your resume. You averaged .6 points less than the scoring leader this season? Oh man, you were getting buckets. Nah, there's better out there. Moving on. Basically what I'm saying is everything is made out to be so black and white, a lot of relativity ends up getting lost. I shouldn't have to explain that a player averaging 28 points a game and a player averaging 26.5 are basically the same thing. Yes, one of them is scoring more on average, but they both are clearly capable of doing the same thing when it comes to scoring. It doesn't matter what it looked like or how it went in, if it went in, it's a bucket. And these two hypothetical players are on the same level when it comes to that. I know it might sound like I want to give everybody a participation award, and I'm sure a lot of people would say that we all know deep down in our heart that there are always going to be more people deserving of an award than people who win it. You can argue certainly that's what makes the race for awards exciting, because we all know they're the best of the best. It's just fun to see who will end up on top. But I'll argue that's far too charitable of a perspective. It's hard to remember that truth when the only thing getting crammed in your face are heated debates on TV and online over two players with little to no context being given. What the NBA media would have you believe is that the player who scored 28 points per game is the one that deserves the flowers, the consideration, and certainly the airtime. Sure, they might briefly preface the debate by saying they're all great players, but... The thing that needs to be realized is that these shows, the hosts and guests that are on them, they control so much of the narratives in the basketball world. And when you spend a majority of a segment, for a majority of your segments, disparaging one player to prop up another without taking the time to acknowledge the relativity, you are doing such a disservice to everybody. Those who are listening to you and then getting into dumbass arguments on Twitter, the players who endure a non-stop stream of information about themselves, having their every move talked about, and you're influencing basketball history, the very way these athletes and their accomplishments will be remembered. So what's that done, you coyishly ask? Oh, I'll tell you, you modest and patient listener, you. Players said, fuck that. If you're only going to judge me by the awards I have, or the titles I got, 
that I'm going to do whatever it takes to put myself in the best position possible to get those things. As I mentioned, NBA players and athletes in general now are subjected to a level of scrutiny previous generations couldn't have fathomed. Now a lot of the time it's innocuous stuff. The outfits you wore pre-game make the rounds on social media and you get clowned for a couple of days. Or a photo of you on the bench looking spaced out becomes a meme. Normal, relatively harmless internet banter. Then you take it up a notch, and you're misquoted or taken out of context by a beat reporter, which ends up making it to the first segment of a primetime sports network talk show. You then proceed to have your words hyper-analyzed for 20 minutes, words you spat out in 20 seconds after a long and arduous professional basketball game. They pick apart what you said and extrapolate to no ends to create storylines or narratives that drive engagement, all after you just gave a simple response to a question from a reporter after a game and thought little of it. It's hard to say that wouldn't get to any athlete, right? And again, I want to acknowledge that this is not an attempt to portray the media as completely fraudulent or bad faith. Honestly, it's a business and they're trying to sell stocks. While a lot of it can certainly fall into a journalistic, moral gray area, they don't often flat out lie. And if they do, it's usually misguided or because of false information, and they'll own up to it, so it's not like it's a personal attack. But regardless of intention, there is a cause and effect to everything. And this cause has affected the way players valued the little things. It used to be extremely common for players to suit up and play all 82 games of the NBA regular season. Hell, if not a single person sat out 30 years ago, it would almost certainly go unnoticed. Now, 10. 10 players in the 2022-2023 season played all 82 games, out of over 400 active players this season. On top of that, there are some fan favorites on the list, sure, but not a single one of those 10 is a star player. Welcome to the era of player empowerment. Many people like to forget it, but playing basketball? For the organization of the NBA? It's a job. And like most good jobs, one of the best things to ever happen to it was unionization. The National Basketball Players Association was founded in 1954 by Bob Cousy, a basketball hall of famer, a pioneer of the NBA, and Larry Fleischer, an attorney and sports agent, who was actually also inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame posthumously in 1991. The National Basketball Players Association, or NBPA, is the oldest trade union of the four major professional sports leagues in North America. If you're wondering what it does, well, it's like any union, but in the NBPA's own words, they protect and support the rights and talents of players, magnify the power of their collective will, and amplify their voices as leaders who will transcend sport and society globally. One of the most important features, perhaps the most important feature of the NBPA, is their collective bargaining agreement, or CPA, between them and the NBA. The CPA sets the terms and conditions of employment for all professional basketball players who play in the NBA. The current CPA was agreed to and ratified in December 2016, took effect in July 2017, and runs through the end of the 2023-2024 season. That means both entities are actively in negotiations over the new CPA that will take effect then. I'm not going to read out the whole collective bargaining agreement because I've been long-winded enough so far, but even if I was to subject you poor listeners to that, I would need several forms of stimulants and around a few days because it's 598 pages long. So the National Basketball Players Association is a powerful entity and wields just as powerful a tool with the collective bargaining agreement. 
This has defined the era of player empowerment in the modern NBA and introduced perhaps the most powerful agent of chaos within this whole shitstorm, load management. I want to ask you specifically about load management um, because this seems to be a particular point of contention uh, with people in my world now in the media, uh, certainly with fans, rightfully so. Um, I'm sure players are talking about this and they see everything that's being said. They, they see uh, videos on Twitter of, of kids flying in to watch Jimmy Butler play and him not being available. Um, you have a tough task, of course, leading our union and, and dealing with owners. Is there a good solution? Is there a good way to solve this issue? The biggest thing is this, right? We want our stars to play as much as possible, right? We want them to play nationally televised games. We'd love for them to play all local games. We'd love for them to play back-to-backs. Even the bad back-to-backs that we know shouldn't exist, like landing in Milwaukee at 3 o'clock and having to play, you know, a 7 o'clock game. You know, those travel back-to-backs, like all those things we think are important and we want our players to play in. There's two folds, right? There's two folds. There's, there's guys who really love basketball and it's hard to get them to not play. And there's guys who, you know, a, a normal 9-to-5, right, where they're just good at the job. And that's just the honest truth. And I think it's the balance of making sure that we're exerting ourselves properly, that we're also taking care of ourselves, but also the accountability factor of being realistic with the expectations and goals that we set on players and staff. Dame talked about it. They had a back-to-back against us. He really wanted to play. The staff held him out. They wouldn't let him play. That was a situation in which I'm sure he would have loved to play against me. I would have loved to play against him. The fans would have loved to watch it. But the team and the staff felt like him coming off an injury that wasn't the best for him and that they wanted to kind of protect him from himself. But we also have to understand twofold. Majority of the money that we get in our game is generated on playoffs, and we need the best players to be available to play in the playoffs because although fans do care about a random Tuesday in Sacramento, they also care about April, May, and June when um, it's the summertime and there's not school for the kids and it's easier to travel. It's more accessible. There's more eyes. There's more viewership and there's more dollars that are generated from ad revenue. So I think when you look at all those factors, I don't have a solution. I'm trying to work on I'm trying to find one, but I think the happy medium is figuring out how to schedule games more properly and Evan's going to watch this and I'm going to get a call from the NBA because (laughs) that's the way this job works but um, I just want to go on the record saying that I think it's important from a scheduling standpoint obviously we have a calendar to work with we have arenas we have all those things but it's the important factor of figuring out how to win how to maximize our support from fans how to give them what they want while being able to put on a show for 82 games in a tough calendar year. That was J.J. Redick, a 17-season NBA veteran turned media personality and basketball analyst, interviewing C.J. McCollum, a guard for the New Orleans Pelicans and president of the National Basketball Players Association. This well-articulated response does a great job at covering a lot of the issues involved. Load management refers to the practice of teams resting healthy players to preserve them for the balance of an 82-game season as well as the playoffs. So yeah, essentially rest days. They've become increasingly more common, from star players to role players, and it's changed what the NBA regular season looks like. There's so much to say about load management, as that conversation alluded to. A lot of it's negative, and a lot of it's fair, but overall, it is a good thing. Players should have the right not to play if they feel they cannot perform at the level required of an NBA player, and it would just be a stupid risk for everyone involved if that player is forced to go out on the court and injure themselves. It's bad for the player, and it's bad for business. And don't be fooled, these athletes are products. 
load management has created a lot of tension between NBA players and the media. They criticize players for not suiting up, deeming them soft and without a killer mindset, a defining characteristic of previous generations, although we know it's not always even their decision. It's created tensions between players and the fans too. You heard CJ McCullough mention a fan not being able to see Miami Heat forward Jimmy Butler, and he was referring to an incident from back in January of 2023. A young boy named Felipe traveled with his mother over 4,000 miles from Argentina to watch his favorite player against the Boston Celtics in their January 25th matchup. Jimmy Butler, someone known for only resting when necessary, sat out the game after feeling stiffness in his back earlier that day. The boy was devastated, and the broadcast from the stadium actually captured the moment he found out Jimmy had been ruled out for the game. He essentially crumbles into tears after learning that this incredibly rare opportunity has been spoiled. Jimmy and the Heat found out about the kid and gave what I can only assume was a much better gift, including an ultimate game day experience, autographed memorabilia, and was even able to take courtside photos with Miami Heat players. It's great that that unfortunate situation was able to have a happy ending, but it does highlight a bigger problem. How many people have saved up and bought tickets to see their team play, only to find out the day of that their favorite player's been ruled out for a minor issue? It sucks. Fans don't want that. Players don't want that. But it does seem like an ugly side effect. Now, like CJ, the president of the NBPA, said, The largest percentage of the NBA's revenue comes from the playoffs. And with the NBA stars earning more than ever before, even bench players are millionaires, it's expected that they'll shield their players from as much as possible, even when, as McCollum said, it's from themselves. It's hard to play 82 games over six months and then be fresh for the playoffs. When the lights shine brightest, when the fans cheer the loudest, and when the cash cash is the hardest. I don't know, that one kind of got away from me, but you get what I'm saying. So what does this have to do with the All-Star game? That was the voice of Yaron Weitzman, an award-winning author and NBA writer for Bleacher Report, ESPN, The Athletic, and more. We spoke about everything from load management to injury prevention, including why something like the All-Star Game has a hard time fitting in with all the madness. As Yaron said, nobody wants a player to get injured in an exhibition game. For all the fanfare and celebration that comes with the All-Star Game and its weekend's events in general, it's tough to entice the players or the organizations when they have their eyes set on bigger prizes. It's a hard pill to swallow for long-time fans. I mean, certainly it's more important than any old random regular season game, right? Yeah, it is. For the business and for the players, at least. As mentioned before, it doesn't have any actual effects on the league. But you tell me. Is a fancy spectacle that occurs in February, plopped in the middle of all this madness, really worth it if there's a chance of it affecting the bigger picture? When all the money is staked in the playoffs, when all that matters to so much of the media is end-season results, 
would you, you lovely listener who I'm turning into an NBA player for the sake of illustration, put your all into a game that's hot air? I wanted to get a diehard fan's perspective, so I talked to my friend Jaren, someone who's been watching the NBA for nearly two decades and is a fellow masochist, or as we're colloquially known, New York Knicks fans. What's your sort of diagnosis as far as like the, the negative aspects of load management? Negative aspects of load management. I mean, you look at these players who asset is their body, yet they sign a contract saying that they have to put it at risk. So it's a delicate balance between these players making an investment with their body every time they step out on the floor and to look someone in the eyes and say that you don't have the authority to dictate how you feel about your body. I mean, that gets into a whole other conversation. But when you're looking at an 82-game season playing game speed basketball, And then if you're a playoff team that's a contender, you're looking at potentially an upwards of 20 or more games after that. So 100 games a year, and, you know, those playoff games are different too. So, you know, some load management, it's necessary. As much as it interferes with the product that the league is trying to put out these games, and, you know, you can look at the individual examples of fans saying, oh, well, I spent my paychecks to see this player and he didn't play. I feel like there should be some form of insurance for the fans because I think it's the NBA's duty if they're putting out a product to make sure that their fans are happy. And it's so funny that you frame it that way because you can really see the paradox of the All-Star game here because, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, playoff time is the cashiest time for basketball. And naturally, the league wants all their stars healthy for playoff time, so they decide to put this all-star game in the middle of February, in the middle of your 82-game season. And, you know, if you're a star who's carrying your team, maybe you're having an MVP season, and then you get drafted for the all-star game and you say, hey, everyone else gets a break this week, but you got to fly down here and do these challenges and put your body at more risk. I think all players should have an opinion to say that that's not something that they want to do. And that as the game is changing, they need to change the All-Star game. It's a sad sight, maybe, but the NBA's crown jewel during their historic and celebratory weekend of events has become the sacrificial lamb to usher in a new age in basketball. It won't always suck. Some years are bound to be better than others. It was like that before, too. And players who are on teams without serious playoff expectations will certainly have less incentive to play so reserved. But the fact of the matter is, nothing is going to change the way things are unless the NBA makes changes to the All-Star game. And even then, which, to be clear, I'm not advocating for, it would be nearly impossible to tell if it would make a difference. I'm not going to tackle the question of solving load management because ultimately it's here to stay and, as I said, I do think it's an overall good thing. Talks have been had internally within the NBA over ways to best mitigate the downsides of load management through changes to the regular season. Things like shortening the season, getting better at scheduling games, having a minimum games played threshold for awards, and eliminating back-to-back games for teams have all been discussed and all of those cases hold validity. Whatever it is that ends up being the effect to this cause, it's most certain to change the NBA and NBA history from that point on. 
One thing is for certain though, the All-Star game isn't going anywhere. It's just had an All-Star fallout. 